Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. <laughs> oh my goodness, who's ready for the word of God? Because you know, we, we've been reading it, this verse again and again and studying it all year long. How is it that the, the culture or the, the values of the kingdom of God, the values of Jesus, how is it that that gets multiplied? It's through his, his what? Words. So we're, we've been taking the entire year 2021 to read word for word through the gospel of Mark, focusing in on the words of Jesus, and we're gonna continue that today. I don't have time to review everything we've learned, but, but because we've learned so much in just six short chapters. And uh, as I mentioned last Sunday, starting today, we're gonna start going a bit quicker with these chapters because we truly want to finish the Gospel of Mark by the end of the year, actually by Christmas, right? So you're gonna notice maybe a different pace and maybe slightly different style as we teach the, through the Word of God the rest of the year. Is that okay? Are you sure? Do you have on your fast-forward listening ears this morning? Keep them on for the rest of the year. All right. <laughs> Who was here last Sunday? We learned that familiarity breeds contempt, but awe breeds multiplication, right? We read uh, the beginning of Mark chapter 6, and we learned what happens when we, we lose our awe for Jesus. It's no good. But when we walk in awe of Jesus, Jesus uses us to multiply, right? And today we're going to pick up where we left off. But just before I get to Mark 6, by the way, you can go ahead and start looking for Mark 6. I have a question I want you to think. Have you ever known something to be true, but you didn't understand it? Like you knew it was true, but you didn't really understand it. And I've been thinking about like dozens of examples of this throughout the week, but the one that just, I don't know, it made me laugh a little bit was you teach when, when we're young, well, when our kids are young, we teach children that after they use the toilet, they ought to do what? Wash their hands, right? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with, with, with someone like my son, but He's seven years old, and he's been washing his hands after the toilet since he was a toddler. Well, we washed his hands before that. And yet he still doesn't understand why, right? He knows it's true he ought to wash his hands every time he goes to the bathroom, but he doesn't understand, right? Have you ever known something that you know it's true, but you just don't understand it? How many of us would agree, it's good to know, but it's better to understand, right? You get older and you understand why when you go to the toilet, you better wash your hands, right? And it's like that with so many things in life. It's like that with so many things in the Word of God. A lot of times we know something is true, yet we lack understanding of it. And God wants us to both know his word as true, but he also wants to give us understanding of his word, right? Yes? Come on, what's better, just to know or to actually understand? Now listen, God's word contains all the truth we'll ever need. 
It's all in his word. We can find all the truth we'll ever need in his word. But God wants us to have both knowledge and understanding of his word. And today, I'm going to begin to teach you about a powerful tool. Now, this is sort of a big theological word. It's actually not a very long one, but it's a word that you may not be used to using, and it has sort of a big, long, elaborate definition, and we're not going to do that, okay? But I want to give you this word you may be familiar with, you may not be familiar with, but I want you to say exegesis. We were talking about it earlier in, in, in our huddle before service, and somebody said, exit Jesus, right? But we don't want Jesus to exit. No, we, it's exegesis. Some of you are like, I don't know what. Say what? Turn to somebody and say, exegesis. Now turn to somebody else and say, you must learn to exegete. That sounds painful. We were also laughing before service. Is that something you do in the bathroom? <laughs> like <laughs> Exegete. That sounds very interesting. But exegesis is, again, there's a sort of a long, elaborate definition of it, and we're not going to get into that because I want to get simple and practical with you because it is something, this is a tool that all of us can possess and use, okay? Everyone can do this because the simple, practical Meaning of exegesis, which is this big theological word, is the ability to extract the truth from God's word. Okay? Have you ever been reading the Bible but... Right? Have you ever heard the word of God taught or preached and it's like... Or have you ever been reading and you go, well, I know that's true, but I just don't understand. Or do all of you just understand every single word that you read? Exegesis, or to exegete, means to analyze God's word and take take into account the meanings of the words, the context of the words, when it was spoken, the culture it was spoken in, to from that be able to extract the truth that God is trying to communicate to us, right? Yes? Newsflash. Neither the Old nor the New Testament was written in our time, in our culture, in our language. It's so important not to just read the word and just be like, oh, that was cool, but to think about it, to pray on it, to meditate, which means to chew on it, right? To understand when this was written and what could have it really meant in the original setting and what culture it was a part of and what that word actually means, right? Because remember, the Bible wasn't written in English or Spanish or Portuguese or any other of the language that we speak here at Encounter Church. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Does anybody speak Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek fluently? I'm sorry, you can't exegete. Just kidding. (laughs) Neither do I. The good news is you don't need to. Listen, you don't need a theology degree to understand God's word. I have a theology degree, and it helped. It helped. 
But it certainly didn't provide what I needed completely to understand God's word. You don't need one. I understood a lot of God's word before I ever even went to Bible school. Okay? You don't need a degree. You don't need to know the original language and all this kind of stuff to understand God's word. God didn't make it that way. Did you know God wants you to understand his word? He doesn't want to hide truth from us. He does want us to seek it and find it, right? But the Bible says wisdom just shouts out in the street corner like, come on, I'm here. Come find me, right? God wants, I want you to just declare this over your life right now. God wants me to know and understand his word. Come on, say exegesis. 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 Okay. Maybe you want to turn around to somebody behind you for this one and say this. I want you to say this. Knowledge makes you smart. But understanding makes you useful. I don't know if we got it. I don't know if we all heard that because we were all talking, right? But knowledge makes us smart. But understanding actually makes us useful, right? Because I understand why we should wash our hands after going to the toilet, I can now be useful to teach my children why they should also do it. Because I understand. See, God wants us to know and understand his word. Now, you don't need, again, you don't need a a degree. You just need dedication, commitment, and a pure desire for the truth. If you have a pure desire for the truth and you are dedicated to reading and studying and meditating on God's word and obeying God's word, by the way, because a lot of understanding doesn't come until we actually obey it, right? Okay? God will reveal his truth to you. It's good to know the word, but it's even better to understand it. Who's ready to exegete a little bit this morning? (laughs) The reason we've been using the Amplified Translation to read through the words of Jesus in Mark is because the Amplified Translation is a simple exegesis in itself of God's word. When you see the words in brackets and parentheses and and italics and all this stuff, it's literally translations and transliterations of the Hebrew and Greek words as well as provides cultural context and the meanings of of idioms that may not make a lot of sense to us, right? And so I I just want to encourage you, if you ever read a verse in the New Living or the New, uh, whatever you read, ESV, I don't know what, what version of the Bible you read, If you're ever like, what in the world does that mean? Grab an Amplified and it'll help you, okay? So it it, it takes a little longer, but that's how we are reading through Mark. Are we ready? So how about we exegete four simple truths today? Just four simple truths. We're going to read the entire rest of Mark chapter 6, from which we could extract Dozens of truths. In fact, each passage we're about to read could be an entire sermon in itself. But what we're going to do is we're going to take each passage, we're going to read it, analyze it, and then very, very simply take one truth out of each passage. Is that okay? Can we handle four truths today? Okay. And I really felt like this in worship today. Okay, do I have everybody's attention? 
all of these truths, these four truths are for all of us, but I really felt like some of you, one of them is going to be like, almost like a life or death thing today. So I want us, as we examine this, as we read through this, as we discover the truth, I really truly believe the Holy Spirit is going to just like, like hit the nail on the head. And what, maybe all of them are going to blow you away, you know, the truth of God's word. But I really felt like there are many in the house this morning that one of these is going to hit you like a ton of bricks. It is, it's going to be exactly what you needed to take the next step in life, all right? Because the truth, that's what the truth does. It, it, it gives us the light, right, for our path, his word. So are we ready to discover the truth of God's word? I'm sorry to keep being a little silly, but turn to one more person and say, it's time to exegete. <laughs> so let's go to Mark chapter four, uh, chapter six. We're going to start in verse 14. Remember, all right, remember, last Sunday we read Mark 1 through 13 where, this is important, the beginning of that chapter, Jesus had gone to his hometown, Nazareth, and they had rejected him as the Messiah because they were just so overly familiar with him that they didn't really, they weren't able to see who he really was. And then we kept on reading that the, the, the disciples, the 12 that followed him everywhere he went, they did understand, at least to a certain extent, who he was, and he used them to spread his kingdom throughout the world. So that's where we pick up. We're going to pick up in verse 14. We're going to be doing a lot of scripture reading today. Are we ready with our scripture reading eyes and ears? All right. Verse 14. King Herod Antipas heard about this, about the fact that, that what, all that Jesus was doing. Okay. For Jesus' name and reputation had become well known. People were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers at work in him. And others were saying, he's Elijah. And others were saying, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I, what? Yeah. Whew, beheaded, has risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent guards and had John arrested and shackled in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his half-brother, Philip, because he, Herod, had married her. Herod had married the wife of someone else, right? For John had been saying to Herod, Herod, it is not lawful under Mosaic law for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had, had a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she could not because Herod feared John. Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he continually kept him safe. When he heard John speak, he was very perplexed, but he enjoyed listening to him. But an unfortunate time finally came for Herodias. I'm sorry, an opportune time finally came for Herodias. Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his officials, nobles, courtiers, and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now, Salome, everybody say Salome. Salome. The daughter of Herodias, remember Herodias hated John, came in and danced for the men. There's a little bit of exegesis. If you read the New Living, it just says she danced. She came in and danced for the men. Mm. She pleased and beguiled Herod and his dinner guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you, even up to half my kingdom. Which, by the way, was not literal. They couldn't give away half their kingdom. This was just an idiom. 
in their culture that meant I'll, I'll, I'll give you, you know, like we say, the moon, right? And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And Herodias replied, the head of John the Baptist. And she rushed back to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Most important word that we're going to exegete. But. Everybody say, but. All of this scripture for that one important word. Come on, say, but. Now I'm going to go back and start the phrase over. This, the king was deeply grieved, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, who might have regarded him as weak, he was unwilling to break his word and refuse her. So the king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring back John's head. And he went and had John beheaded in the prison and brought back his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl to her mother. When the disciples heard about this, they came and took away John's body and laid it in a tomb, right? With skins on his back and hair on his face. They thought he was crazed by the locust he ate. See the Pharisees trip till they heard him speak. When they heard him speak till the king took the head of this. I had to do it once. All right. If you didn't get it, that's fine. The king took his head. But there's something even worse than what happened to John. It's what happened to Herod. All right, this is the truth. Now, there are numerous truths we could pull out of that, but here's the truth I want to point out today with the Holy Spirit as I was analyzing and praying and thinking about this. This is the truth, and this is for a lot of us, okay? The fear of man is a trap. The fear of man is a trap. Actually, Proverbs 29, 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. You see, where do you, how do we get that out of that story? When we care more about what people think than what God thinks, we end up doing things we would have never wanted to do. Herod didn't want to do what he did to John. But he was more concerned with the opinion of his dinner guests than the opinion of Almighty God. Unfortunately, many live our lives this way. Herod did what he didn't want to do because he cared more for people's opinions than God's. I think we could and should all agree that God's opinion matters more. When we are overly concerned with what others think about us to the point that that influences us more than what God thinks about us, 
We are trapped in a deadly trap. Come on, say the fear of man is a trap. God's opinion matters more. All right? Now, could we keep going and make a whole sermon out of that? Absolutely, but we're not. Who's ready to move to truth number two? The first one is the fear of man is a trap. Okay? This is going to take some thinking about and meditating and chewing on later on. All right, let's go now to verse 30 through 44. The apostles who had been sent out on a mission gathered together with Jesus and uh, told him everything that they had done and taught. And they, they, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people who were continually coming and going. And they couldn't even find time to eat. Come on, somebody say, busy. busy. And they went away by themselves in a boat to a secluded place. Well, they thought anyway. Uh, many people saw them leaving and recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the surrounding cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd waiting and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd lacking guidance. And he began to teach them many things. When the day was nearly gone, the disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I don't know if they were truly concerned that the people were hungry or if they were hungry. But either way, Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. And they asked him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat with by the way was a lot of money okay he said to them how many loaves do you have go look tell your neighbor go look go look and see what you have and when they found out he they said five loaves and two fish and then Jesus commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties so that the crowd resembled an orderly arrangement of colorful garden plots But you never read that before. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing of praise and thanksgiving to the Father. And he broke the loaves and repeatedly gave them to the disciples and set it before the people. He divided up the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And the, pot, the disciples picked up the, how many full baskets? After all that, there was a snack left over for all 12 of them. Twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and of the loaves and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves and were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So it must have been like a million. <laughs> no, estimated 20 to 25,000 people would have been in that crowd. Okay. And with that little bit of bread and a couple of fish, he fed them all. Now, a plethora of truth that we could pull out of that. But here's the one we're going to extract God removes the limits. Oh, this is for somebody today. God removes the limits from what is surrendered to him. God removes the limits from what is surrendered to him. Listen, some of us really need to hear this today. Recognizing our limitations is not a bad thing. 
It can actually be a very good, healthy thing as long as we don't put those limitations on an almighty God. Recognizing my limitations and your limitations is a good thing. It goes like this. In fact, it's actually good to say, I can't, God. Come on, just go ahead and say it. I can't, God, but you can. Come on, let's say it one more time. God, I cannot, but you can. It's good to know and recognize our own limitations, but we ought to never put those or project those limitations onto God who is all-powerful. God is limitless, and the amazing thing is when I put my limited resources in God's hands, the limits bow down to the unlimited one. When I take what I have that's very limited, or does anyone have an unlimited supply of all things? I don't know about you, but I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in our church. When we take what we have that's limited and we surrender it to Jesus, God takes the limitations off and does with it what we could never do with it. He takes our little and does much with it. But when I hold on to it, the limits remain. When I hold on to what I have rather than giving it, surrendering it to Jesus, the limits remain. And I'll only be able to accomplish what my own limitations can accomplish. It's better to surrender everything to Jesus, right? (laughs) When we give it all to Jesus, all we have, he multiplies it. Ready for the next one? I know. Each one of these could be like a series. (laughs) But that's not the point today. I really believe you're going to understand all four truths and that one of them very specifically is going to be very important for you. But even more, what I want us to see is that we can all do this that we're doing right now. We can all read and understand the word of God and get the truth. Let's keep going. Verse 45. Jesus immediately insisted that his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he was dismissing the crowd. And after he said goodbye to them, he went on to the mountain to pray. (laughs) He finally got alone, right? Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. Seeing the disciples standing, uh, straining at the oars because the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, 3 to 6 a.m., that's what that means, right? He came to them walking on the sea. Don't just read that and just try to see that. He's just walking out there on the ocean with the waves and the wind. Just, Hello. <laughs> right? I'm here. Actually, he didn't say anything. He acted as if he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out in horror. For they all saw him and were shaken and terrified. 
But he immediately spoke with them and said, take courage, it's me. <laughs> but actually what he said, says, said was, it is I. I am. Yahweh is here. God, like the I am, is here. Don't be afraid. Almighty God is here, right? I am here, okay? Stop being afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased as if exhausted by its own activity. Like some of y'all do every Sunday after church, right? And they were completely overwhelmed because they had not understood the miracle of the loaves, how it had revealed the power and the deity of Jesus. But in fact, their heart was hardened, being oblivious and indifferent to his amazing works. Now, the truth I'm about to tell you is probably not the one you would be thinking. Because we could talk about Jesus' deity and how he's God and how he has power over everything and, you know... Let Jesus in your boat and all that stuff. All right. But this, to me, is what, when I was looking at this and thinking and praying about it, this is what, this is the truth that stood out the most. Ready? Private devotion unlocks the supernatural. Private devotion. What did Jesus do right before he went and ended up walking on the water? He was alone on the mountain praying. Jesus' public power flowed from the place of private prayer. Boy, that was a lot of peace. Jesus' public power flowed from the place of private prayer. In fact, this was his pattern. If you read the Gospels, it always seems like Jesus is trying to find some time to get away and be alone with the Father. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, this is the New King James, says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the where? The secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Public power comes from the place of private prayer, privacy with God. Private devotion unlocks the supernatural. The anointing or the power of God comes from the secret place of devotion. Now listen, this is very important. The secret place does not refer to necessarily a physical place. I have several places I like to go be alone. When you have kids, you're never alone. But alone-ish, right? To pray, to read the word, to worship. But I can, listen, I could stand right here in front of all of you and go to my secret place, right here with all of you. Because the secret place is actually somewhere on the inside of you. Now, it helps to go up on a mountain like Jesus and be by yourself. It helps to be on my back porch by myself. It helps to take a drive by myself. These are some of the things I do. It helps to, he said, go in your room and shut the door, right? If you have that luxury, great. <laughs> It might help to go into the bathroom and shut the door. <laughs> but the secret place is where is the place where you and God are in privacy. And you can be in the secret place all alone, and you can be in the secret place in the middle of a crowd. The point is, private devotion to God is what prepares us for the supernatural things of God. 
We see Jesus again and again alone, and then all of a sudden he comes down. Like what happened after he was 40 days and 40 nights fasting alone, right? He came down and boom, I mean, his big powerful ministry started. When we get alone with God is when we qualify ourselves to walk in his power. Who wants to walk in the power of God? Listen, there's good news. All of us can. Everybody can. If you'll have a private devotional life. See, a lot of people want the anointing. I want the anointing. I want the power. I want to heal the sick. I want to raise the dead. I want to, you know, I want to, everything I touch be blessed. Well, good. Me too. But there's a price to pay for that. And it's not a price of something you can earn. That's not what I mean. It's a price of a relationship. The, 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 the willingness and the commitment and the devotion of seeking God in the secret place unlocks the supernatural in our lives. I wish I had more time, but we got to get to number four. But it's so important to read your Bible, pray every day. We'll talk about that more. We talk about it all the time. Let's go to number four. Ready? When I finish out Mark chapter 6, right here and right now, when they had crossed the, to the other, sorry, when they had crossed over the sea, they reached the land of Gennesaret and anchored at the shore. They got out of the boat and immediately people recognized him and they ran throughout the countryside, surrounding countryside, and began to carry around on their mats those who were sick to any place they heard he was. And whenever he came into a village, into villages, cities, countryside, where they were laying the sick in the marketplace and pleading with him to allow them to just touch the fringe, the tassel with a blue cord, that's what it means, all right, of his robe, and all who touched it were what? Ready, number four? Faith draws out God's power. I gave a whole message on this uh, back a couple of months ago, but it basically goes like this. Miracles happen when people, when Jesus touches people, right? But miracles also happen when people touch Jesus. Faith draws out God's power. These people weren't just waiting for Jesus to come and touch them. No, it says they came out and they touched him. And everyone who touched him was healed. Now, did you see that? Did you see how we did all of that? You just learned four sermons in one. All from just reading a passage. I took a lot of time to think about it. You guys took a second. And then said, there's this truth, this truth, this truth, this truth, this truth, right? And I shared with you one from each passage. You can do this every single day. You can read the word of God and you can understand it. You can. You don't have to be in the dark. You don't have to think the Bible is, you don't have to think it's too much. Maybe you've never read the Bible before. I want to challenge you. Start today. Read God's word, but don't just read it. Think about it. Look into it. Chew on it. 
Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth. He'll tell you the truth. He wants to show you the truth. If you look at his word and listen to him, he'll show you the truth of his word. You can do this every single day. Now, as I close, this is so important. This is, in fact, the most important truth of the day. In order to have true knowledge and understanding of the word of God, you must know the word of God. Come on, say Jesus. If you want to know the truth, if you want to learn to live a life discovering the truth, you need to know the one who is himself the truth. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.